bank. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Money in the Bank. It's Angie here and Brett as always. Hey guys. Um, sorry, we had a bit of a gap there. So we had great intentions of recording episodes before we went on vacation, and then our house flooded. And the only place that we could record that wasn't obnoxiously loud because of the dehumidifiers we had running for a week straight was our bedroom. And after about one episode in the bedroom closet, Brett was like, we're gonna, we're gonna wait. (laughs) Yep. So sorry, guys, I'll take the blame for that one. But we're back. We are back. Um, And I'm pretty excited. So today is actually just going to be a Q&A. I've gotten quite a few questions in from different listeners that, you know, whether it's current events or, you know, just questions they have, I was just going to answer some reader questions. So, or listener questions. Um, But I did not forget that we like to start off with a trivia question. So are you ready? Uh, I really hope we forgot about that. Okay. All right. Let's go. So... The S&P 500, are you familiar with that? Yep. What are the year-to-date returns on the S&P 500? Year-to-date? Yeah. For From 20... January okay. to February. Just, because just everyone's, so okay. everyone's been freaking out about the big market crash. So, like, year-to-date, what do you think the return is? Uh, so, I know it was climbing like crazy, right? Just like the Dow was. And so, I think it came back down to kind of where it was in December is what they were saying about the Dow. So, I assume the S&P was on a similar track. So, maybe, you know, maybe it lost, um, you know, 80% of what it was since the beginning of the year. Lost 80%? Of what it's gained so far since Oh, since okay. January so, you're 1st. saying, but as a percentage, what do you think it's at? For my returns? Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe 4%? All right. So you're actually pretty optimistic, which is good. Um, It's negative 2% here today. So it is is lower then still. It is lower. um, But, you know, a lot of people have this, the sky is falling, the sky is falling attitude. And I don't think the sky is falling quite yet. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people are looking at these corrections and they're saying oh it's almost a 10 percent correction well if you look at year to date it doesn't you know quite look as bad as that so it's you know the the big thing i've learned about stocks and mutual funds in general is that the numbers don't lie but liars use numbers so you can paint this picture a million different ways depending on what you want to be portrayed and i think the media right now is trying to show a lot of fear right? And it's scaring people. But I I just want to reassure you that, hey, market corrections happen. No big deal. And year to date, we're at negative 2%. So that's not too bad. Right. I mean, it's it's easy to sell ads when the the titles say, you know, largest single day stock drop ever or whatever, right? Which also wasn't true. But yeah, yeah, regardless (laughs) of what you know, the reality is. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, I wanted to open with that. And We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the market later, so I thought it was a good tie-in. But the first question we got, actually, um, is from one of my good friends, and he asked, where should I be parking midterm savings? Which is a great question. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about saving money. We've talked a lot about, you know, investing for retirement or investing for in a, you know, 5013 for your kids' education. We have not talked a lot about 
where to park, you know, that three to five year money. Right. right? Stuff that you're going to do, you know, coming up right here, but you're not ready for it or you're building the money to, to save up for that. Right. What is the best place to do that in? Yeah. And so the hard thing about this question is there's not one good answer. Um, you know, as a lot of things in the financial world, it, it, there there's more layers that I need to know here. Um, and there's also a layer of what is your personal risk level and comfort level. You know, some people, if they don't have a purchase coming up for five years, even if the money is going to lose, a, you know, even if they have the risk of their money losing some value, they would rather, you know, put it in a mutual fund that's invested in stocks to potentially get an upside because they're okay with accepting the downside. And then there's some people that if they lose one dime, they're going to freak out. So, you know, there is a little bit of personal thing here. So I'm just going to walk through a few examples to hopefully cover on quite a few of the bases and just get people thinking about what would be best for them. Um, so I guess we'll start with, do you happen to know what the interest rate is on our Ally Savings account? Uh, I know it's over 1%, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. they've actually been increasing it over the years. Um, so we're actually at 1.35%. 1.35, okay. Which is, so I, I looked at one of our other credit union accounts, the, uh, you know, the other day, and it was point, I think 0.1% for that savings account for our business account. Yeah. Not so, that we keep money in there intentionally. We keep money in there because we're going to spend it on, you know, fixing units or whatever that is. But right. That's a huge difference, right? So, you know, I, I say that to say... Some people, when they ask me, where should I park midterm money? If you're looking at a, you know, zero to three year timeline as your midterm money or one to three years, put it probably the best answer, even though it's not an exciting answer, is to put it in a savings account. But I don't mean that saving account that earns 0.1%. Open an ally account. I'm not getting paid anything to say this, I've, but I have been a customer of Ally Bank since 2009. Mm -hmm. um, consistently, their savings account has one of the highest rates on the market. And I've been really impressed with them because I had 1% at Ally for years. And then the last year and a half, as interest rates have slowly started going back up, they have actually passed that back onto the customer, which they don't have to do. They already had one of the highest savings account rates as it was. Mm -hmm. And they're still like increasing that, which good on them. You know, they're keeping me as a customer because I appreciate that they're looking out for me. Yeah. I mean, they don't have brick and mortar stores. So that's always been their thing, right? It's like, hey, we don't have to pay for all this overhead. So we can provide a higher interest rate than a lot of other places do. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so. so, so you're looking at it more as um, from a from a mindset of, where can I park, at what interest rate can I park this money or what return can I park this money for versus the risk? And right, for that, yes. since it's a savings account, there's like absolutely no risk, basically, right? As long as you're saving less than $250,000. <laughs> okay. But if yeah. you're saving more than that in three years, I'm probably not the right podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then you've got that offshore bank account, probably. Um, yeah, so they're great. Super low risk, pretty high. So the... so. If that's the median, then um, that's the, the minimum amount of return you want is like 1.35% as of right now. That's the minimum you should be getting yeah. on even, you know, short-term money, long-term money, mid-term money. That's the minimum, right, across right. the board because that's just as, as low risk as you can go. Well, now, uh, just because I'm a math nerd, I want to clarify. We don't mean minimum on long-term money because you could have a negative return on your long-term money. 
as we've seen with the S&P. Uh, yeah, right. In a year-to-date setting. So, um, you know, having having a... Basically, the reason I say go with a savings account, if it's, you know, a zero to three-year timeline, is that's zero risk, and you know you have the 1.35 locked in, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the problem here, because... If somebody asks me, what should I invest in to get the highest return with a manageable amount of risk every time, I'm going to say mutual fund. And historically, you will get about 7% year to date. But the reason that you don't just necessarily want to park your money there is that's not 7% year after year guaranteed. That's 20% in 2018 or 2017. And then perhaps negative 10% in 2018, right? If that mm-hmm. if those forecasts, you know, hold up or anything. But that's the problem with the stock market. It's not this like slow and steady climb. It's bouncing around, but in general going up. So, you know, I, I recommend savings accounts if you know. So here's the here's the other thing is the amount that you need fixed and is the date that you need it fixed. Mm-hmm. Because like an emergency fund is a really good example of something you should keep fairly liquid in a savings account where it's safe because you don't know exactly when that emergency will happen, but you know if an emergency happens, you need the money now, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can't risk having 20% of it go away in one day, right? Right. So, um, and then if the deadline is fixed, so you know some people are saving for a house but they they might think, okay, in three to four years, I'm going to buy a house. Well, if you have a little play with the timeline, then perhaps you can invest in something you know a little bit riskier because you don't necessarily need it exactly in three years. You can push it off, you know, so you can wait for the market to come back up a little bit mm-hmm. if needed. Um, so while I'm on that track, I was just going to talk about some of the other areas that you can park your money that are not just savings accounts. So you can do CDs, very similar to a savings account, but typically you can lock in a higher interest rate. Yep, my family's always been big fans of those uh, growing up, right? Yeah, that was it's the safest guarantee, and they were given the best bank, uh, you know, best interest rate at the bank account or at the bank and at our credit union. So. That was the option that they were comfortable going with. Yep. Um, Another good option if you want to... So I'm kind of ordering these in order from lowest savings to highest savings or lowest interest rate to highest interest rate. So, you know, allies, 1.35%. CDs, you know, I've seen a lot that for a five-year CD right now, you'll get between 2 to 3%. Um, So a little bit higher, to, but then your money is locked in for five years. Um, the next option would be a bond indexed fund. So essentially bonds are quite a bit safer than stocks because they don't have the same volatility, but returns in general are quite a bit lower. Um, you know, I was looking at some this morning and on average they get between four to six percent interest. But you know, I saw one that the annual return on it was, you know, negative half percent. So not as not the negative 2% that the S&P has seen, but it's still negative because it'll still trend that way. But the I guess the point here is that your gains and your losses, losses will just be smaller. Mm-hmm. So um, if you don't want something as risky as stocks, you can do a bond index fund. They are generally safer. Um, 
And, you know, that can that can be a good option for a lot of people because it's still fairly safe, but you might be able to see quite a bit higher returns. Um, then one more option, one more layer down is to do a balanced mutual fund. So this essentially means picking a mutual fund that has bond and stocks all blended up so you don't have to worry about rebalancing it. They do that for you. But again, you can get a little bit higher returns, but you're also getting a little bit riskier. So this is where it kind of depends on what is your actual timeline. You know, midterm money can mean different things to different people. Brett and I have used midterm money to mean, okay, you know, we want to retire early. So where are we going to get our money from age, you know, 45 to 65? Right. Um, but midterm money can also mean, okay, in three years, I want to buy a car. You know, how do I save for that? So it, it does still depend on your timeline and it depends on your level of risk and your, you know, demand for that. So a car fund for us is actually a great example. We, we might say, okay, we want to buy this new car, but we might be pretty flexible on when we buy that. You know, we still have two really functional cars right now. If we went to one car, that wouldn't impact our life. So we kind of have this wiggle room on, you know, we could wait a a while if we needed to. Right. And if you end up not needing it, you know, if your plan is to say, I'm just going to get a new car when this one dies on me, right, on the side of the road, maybe that's not for another eight years, right? So if you're planning for five years and it turns out to not be eight, you've just, you know, whatever vehicle you have this in just gave you three extra years of interest growth. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So I did want to bring up one more point, and then we're going to move on to the next question. So I just wanted to illustrate what these different interest rates mean, because if you're looking at a three-year timeline, the amount that you save matters much more than the amount of interest you earn. So let's say you're saving $100 a month for three years to purchase something at the end of it. If you have our ally, our safest investment, you have 1.35% interest which means that at the end of that three years, you would have $3,671.34. So essentially you made $71 in interest over that three-year time span. If you, let's say you go with the balanced mutual fund and you're getting 5%, then at the end of it, you're gonna have $3,868.93. So effectively you're making about $200 more, but you're also taking more risk. So you need to ask yourself, like, is in this example, if you just saved for an extra two months, so, you know, this is a three-year example. So instead of 36 months, 38 months, you make up that interest difference. And that's a guaranteed, you know. So sometimes with this short-term money, it's easy to get caught up on, I need the highest interest rate. But I think this example kind of helps show, like, well, if you just, you know, save a little bit more, then you can quickly make up that interest rate and not have the risk. So again, personal preference, you know, Brett and I can be pretty aggressive with some of this, but we also, we don't have a lot of big things that we were saving for. We got a lot of that out of the way. You know, we we had our down payment for our first house early on, and then we rolled that into this house. So I think if we were to do it all over again, and we were, you know, going to buy a house, I would probably keep a down payment in our bank account. Mm-hmm. Don't you agree? Yeah, definitely. So um, hopefully that offered a little bit more insight and hopefully encouraged you to check out the world of online banking because I think it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Um, All right. So next question. Uh, And this kind of goes fits in very well with savings. It came from another listener. 
Um, I love getting these listener questions, so please keep them coming. But this one is, how do I save for a big purchase or big down payment when it feels really overwhelming and I can't seem to save that much each month? Right, because if you need $20,000 for a down payment for a house, right? And you haven't started saving for that. That seems pretty, you know, insurmountable. Yeah. It's a lot of money to put away. You know, I just showed in my example, like if you save $100 a month for three years, you're still only at $3,600. And if you need $20,000 for the house, like that's a big gap. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it, I'm like $100 a month is, you know, I'm, I'm proud of anybody who can save that much right off the bat, you know? So there is kind of a mismatch there. Um, But, you know... We've been there and we've done that. So I think we can still offer some good advice on this one. I would say when you are starting your savings journey, focusing on cutting expenses is your most important task. Because as I've worked with people and I've worked with budgets, almost every time I can easily slash various things by probably 20% and not change their lifestyle at all. So, you know, a lot of people I've worked with, I've been very easily able to find, you know, just magically find, I guess, $250 or more each month, which, you know, it really does add up. Right, because, I mean, people grow into the model of, you know, just spending things and they get more used to spending things and just random stuff, right? And that just becomes the norm. And if you step outside of that picture... You can say to yourself or look at that look at that person and say they don't need to spend any of that money on that stuff. Like why right. are they getting that stuff? Why do you have those magazine subscriptions? Why do you have that box delivery service? Like why like, do you what? buy, you know, mostly this has been a huge one for us as we've worked to get our food costs down. Why do you buy so much prepared food instead of making it yourself? So I think, you know, a really good example of this is we just went and stayed with our friend for a couple weeks in Florida and He's not a big cook. And we made pulled pork. And I think that entire pulled pork for cost us, what, $7? Yeah, I think it was on sale, too, when we got it. So it was, yeah, the whole thing. Plus, we had to buy a pan and stuff, too, cause yeah. had, and some seasonings. And I think the whole thing out the door was, like, less than 10 bucks with the barbecue sauce, too, for it. Yeah, and yeah. it fed both of, or all three of us, two meals And then he ate off of it for fourth meal every night for like a week. And he probably still had like two pounds to freeze. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, learning to make like very simple things like that, that you can freeze or pull out and make tacos or, you know, anything like that, you can, you can always find areas to cut. And, you know, I don't want to rehash all of this. We've done quite a few budgeting episodes. So, you know, go back and listen to our budget series. We did that very early on in our podcast. Um, And we do want to do a whole grocery episode soon about what we bought and break it all down. But, you know, and it's not just food, but every aspect of your life. What is your phone bill? That's another great one. We did an episode talking about Google Fi and Republic Wireless, where you can get your phone bill down to $30 a month. Right. And if you're a single person like on Verizon... You're doing it wrong. I can tell you right now, doesn't matter what your settings are, what your plan is, that is the worst way to set up a phone plan, right? Right. So you either get on a family plan or a group plan, or you look at Google Fi or Republic Wireless or Ting, I think is another one, right, where it's like a much better phone option uh, for probably you and your area. Definitely worth giving a shot for probably less than half of what you're paying now for, for a single family 
or single single person. All right, so let's just say we saved people $100 on groceries right there. We saved them $50 on their phone bill, and that's being pretty generous. <laughs> um, now I'm going to tell you to cut cable, but you can keep internet, so that's probably going to save another... 50 bucks, 50 to 70. Being... Yeah, it depends on yeah what your current package is and how much you've talked them down in the first place. But... If you're paying more than $50 for internet, call Comcast every day until you pay less than $50. So there you go. Just saved you another 50 bucks. So we're up to 200. So let's see, what else can we save money on? Utilities. Is it, is it, are, you know, are you experiencing winter like the rest of us, but you want a warm house? I don't care. Turn your thermostat down. There we go. There's some more savings. Um, I, I point all of that out to show that if you really look at your expenses, there's a lot of areas that you can optimize. And once you start optimizing, you have this extra money, you can roll that into savings. And although these goals seem really large at first, I remember when I got my first job out of high college, my goal was to save a $10,000 emergency fund. And I started like, I put $100 a month towards it. And one day I was like, it's going to take me 10 years to get the savings. Like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. But as time went on and I had extra money, I would just dump it into that savings account. You know, every month, if I had money left over, I would move it over. When tax season came and I got a refund, I put all of it in there. And before you know it, it was, you know, two and a half years later, instead of the 10 years I thought that I had that emergency fund. So I think what people don't realize is if you just look at the numbers, it seems like it is going to take forever. But once you get the ball rolling and you're really dedicated to this goal, it you just find that you can make it happen faster. And probably, I mean, a lot of people listening to this podcast have more money coming in than they need to have, right? Right. Um, I mean, most... Whether, whether they believe that or not right now, yeah. that's the reality is that's probably true. If you are listening to this on an iPhone, you have more money than most people in the world, <laughs> you know? And I think a lot of times we don't realize how luxurious our lives really are. And when we take a step back to realize everything we have and realize how much we have that we don't need, we can kind of gain a new appreciation for things. Um, you know, I have, I've had some friends that they wanted to save for a house and they went extreme, you know, or a lot of people would call them extreme, but they just would have garage sales and sell things they didn't want or need anymore. And, you know, before you know it, that was $1,500 of their goal just from selling stuff that they didn't care about. I mean, when I was a kid, like that was the norm, right? People would have, they'd save up stuff and wait till spring and then, like, everybody would have a garage sale. Every, like, half the people in the neighborhood would have some kind of garage sale. Now people just throw crap away. Our neighborhood does still do a garage sale, so... Not, not as many people, though. Yeah. I mean, it's not like that's the community thing to do anymore, or you have all these people driving around looking for deals and stuff. I mean, it used to be every garage sale in town had, like, 20 cars out front, and now... That's true. You know, you know, there's a few here and there, but there's not even as many people going to but them. But, you know, I do think it's catching back on again, and I think people are realizing the value in buying something lightly used. Um, we actually just had this conversation yesterday, so we inherited some awesome cast iron pans from your parents, but we've wanted to expand our collection a little bit, and you were like, hey, they're, Angela, like, they're not that expensive, we can go get a new one for 30 bucks. And I said, no, 
we can go to Goodwill and we can get one for like 10 cents because somebody got rid of their great great grandmas but they don't go bad you know Mm -hmm. and i think when you can like find these products that are really good and get them you know lightly used or or beat to death used but clean it up and repurpose it um you can just get some great deals that way and and save some money in the meantime so it's a win-win right we'll steal wool we'll you know uh you know seasoning in the oven and be good as new and like get one day right yeah. Um, so just one more thing to add about saving for a big purchase. You know, I, I really do understand that it is very overwhelming at first, but as you gain momentum, it'll go faster than you think. And I think a really cool thing is if you drop the same problem in front of you. So let's say our emergency fund was wiped out and we said, okay, we have to save $10,000 from scratch now. I guarantee even if I, you know, went back in time and made exactly what I was making then, I could find a way to do it faster the second time. Because you learn these awesome skills of optimization, and you just really grow as a person. And then when presented with the same problem, you can solve it faster. It's like once you master the Rubik's Cube, like the first time it takes forever to get all nine sides to match, you know? Mm -hmm. And then after that are six sides, six sides on a cube. Um, But then after that, it's like, you know what you're doing, and you can do it faster each and every time. So... That's my motivational speech for the day. Um, One more question. Are you ready? All right. Let's do it. All right. The market just dropped 10%. What do I do? Oh, that's a good one. A lot of people are freaking out. According to the media, everybody's freaking out. According to some people we've talked to, you know, they're worried about their money and like the market drop. And because there's been a while since we've, you know, seen this kind of experience with a roller coaster, we haven't just been riding upward. So people have forgotten now about what that feels like yeah. to get back to the up and down cycle like it's supposed to be. And I think I'm really weird because I'm excited. I don't know about you, but I'm thrilled because you know what this means to me, a 27-year-old girl? It means that everything just went on 10% off and <laughs> I can buy more. Right. That's awesome. It's a clearance sale for yeah anybody that wants to invest now. Put more money in now because it's eventually going to go back up again. Yep. Right? So. Yeah. So so my advice is what was your plan, right? So if you are in your 60s, then I'm not the right person to give you advice right now because I don't know what your retirement plan looks like. I don't know if you have enough liquid money to carry it through until the market recovers, which most experts recommend holding about a three-year cushion in liquid amounts so that you can ride out these waves. But I don't know those facts. So, you know, if you are in that scenario, please do consult your expert or, you know, if you really want to email me with some more information and I can try to help you. But I, you know, I'm not an expert. But if you, the beauty of this is if you are not nearing retirement age or retired, you have time, right? Like this, the market drop, that's where your 401k is. That's what you're not touching until you are, you know, in your 60s. Mm, This is a beautiful thing. This is, this is awesome because, you know, we've talked about my friend Bob on the podcast before, the world's worst market investor. He only invested right before every big crash of, you know, 50% or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he still made out like a bandit, right? He, he invested a total of $180,000 in his investing career, and he is a millionaire. 
right? So do not panic. Leave your money where it is. If you wanted to take money out because you were nervous about this, the time has already passed. You are too late. You don't take market out when it's, you know, you don't take it out when it starts going down. You take it out when it's up. Right. But I don't recommend you taking out until you need it. And if you don't need it, who cares what this number says on this piece of paper? Keep doing you. Keep your head down. Keep working. Keep putting more money in there. And your future is as bright as ever. Yep. So, you know, we did a whole episode about this and we compared it to being on a highway and getting passed by a semi. Just stay in your lane. Keep the course. And it'll it'll be okay. I promise. We don't know when it'll go back up, but I will make a prediction that it will go back up. That's right. Not everybody's going to jump ship. There's a lot of stability in assets. I mean, the market's not going to just dissolve overnight. Your money's not going anywhere. As long as you can ride it out, it's going to go back up again, and it's going to be even higher than it is now. Yeah. I mean, even after, you know, 1929, 1930, the Great Depression, guess what? It's not like the market then was higher than it is now. It's not like that crash that everyone thought was so bad was that bad. You know, if you if you had money in, you still would have made a hundred times that amount, you know? <laughs> so uh, don't panic. It'll be okay. And just leave the money where it is. Cool. So, awesome. All right. So that's all the questions we had for today. That's all the questions for today. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you do have any more questions, please let me know. This was a fun episode for me and I got to do a little research and some calculations. So that's always a good balance. <laughs> but um, we will drop our contact information in and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the bank.